So we're in the third of these series. And what is a healthy church? And as I've told you before, you know, it's kind of what I'm interested in. It's not kinda, it's really what I'm interested in. It's what I, what I want to be a part of. It's what I want to be pastor of. It's what I want to have us become. And again, it's not to say that we're not without any health. We obviously have some health. But as we know with health, you can always be healthier. And so this healthy church, we've talked the first week in looking at Romans 12 about how a healthy church is a a surrendered church, a church that we have laid ourselves on the altar. We are living sacrifices. Everything is God's. Every thought, every attitude, everything we have, everything we were, everything we are, everything we will be. It's all God's. That's the first. Second week, we talked about how that surrender, that living sacrifice, has to be informed, has to be trained, has to be equipped. And that comes through discipleship. And we talked about how a healthy church is a discipling church. And by the way, these things I'm telling you, they're not things that are, oh, we can choose a few of these and be healthy. No. They're all connected. We need them all. It's like if I tell you, like, you know, I've been, I've been trying to get healthy. You know, I, you know, I'm watching what I eat, and I go to the gym, and I run. Um, you know, and then I uh, make sure I get my, my heroin, and, uh, you know, try to smoke at least three packs a day. I'm going to work my way up to ten. But everything else, I am doing to be as healthy as I can. But not those other things. Or if I told you, you know, I'm trying to get healthy. I'm really trying to get healthy. So, uh, you know, I go out and I had a friend who actually did this. Thought that if he ran 20 miles on Saturday, he could eat whatever he wanted. It's not true. 20 miles is only about burning about 2,500 calories. I don't care if you run 20 miles or you don't run 20 miles at all. If you eat 5,000 calories in a day, you will gain weight. They're all connected. Your body's connected. You can't, you can't be, just do one part that's healthy and expect it all to be healthy. Surrendered church, discipled church. Both go hand in hand. We really know we're surrendered when we actually are being discipled. Well, something else about healthy churches. And this is true of all organisms. The church is often called the body of Christ, and that's more than just a picture. The body of Christ is more than a picture. It's actually actually telling you that the church is a living organism. And like all living organisms, they usually have just kind of two choices. They're either growing or they're dying. One of the two. Growing or dying. And while both of those mean change, growing certainly means change, dying 
means change in a negative direction and eventually an end. Growing means changing in a positive direction and continuing on. But you see, you cannot grow without changing. If your child says, I want to grow up, but I don't want to get bigger, you might go, well, it's kind of hard. Hard to do both of those things. If they tell you, you know, I, I, I want to grow up, but, you know, I want to become like you, Mom, but I don't want to go to school. And I don't want to eat. And I don't want to exercise. I just want to somehow get there. No, we have to change. Something has to happen. Peter Pan is not a true story. We have to grow up. And if we're not growing up, if we're not changing, then we die. Growing means changing. Growing means that all of us collectively, as the body of Christ, are changing every day. I would never think it's a compliment if someone came to this church from 15, 20 years ago and says, it's just like I remember. That's not a compliment. If they're talking about the building, okay, that's fine. But if we're talking about the church, it's not a compliment. It's not a compliment to say, we are no different than we were 15 years ago. My dad used to say that you know, if someone says to their spouse, I love you today as much as I did when we got married, that that's not a compliment. I should love you more. The love should have grown. As a church, we need to grow, and grow means we change. Grow means that we can trace back where we were, but we're not where we were. And it doesn't just mean that all of us change. That doesn't mean that we all just change collectively as a church. It means that each of us changes. Each of us grows. Again, it's not a compliment if people tell you that you're exactly like you were in high school. I hope, unless you're still in high school, I hope, that over the years, you have become different. I hope that when people would meet you that they would be surprised. I have a friend who's a pastor that when he meets his old high school friends are like, you're a Christian? That was first. And then you're a pastor? Because the guy they knew in high school would never have been a Christian and would never have been a pastor. We change and we grow. It's not a compliment to say that we stay the same. I'm consistent. Dying churches, dying churches have too many people who say, I will not grow. I will not change. 
And they have too many people that say, I cannot grow. I've reached my limit. I cannot change. And you need to ask yourself, is there something in your life right now that you, that you say, makes you say this? I will not grow anymore in Christ. I will not surrender one bit more. I will not sacrifice anymore. I cannot change any attitude I have, any habit I have, any way that I operate, any way that I relate. I will not, I cannot. If you are, you are contributing to the death of the church. And my hope, my hope, is that you hear this and you understand that we need you to be alive in this church. We need you to embrace what it means to grow and what it means to grow means that we'll change. See, the greatest threat to a church is often its past. And it's not just what we think. Like some people think that means like, oh, we want to relive the good old days. Oh, you know, it was so great back in the 70s. It was so great back in the 80s. So great back in, you know, back in that time. And we want to relive the good old days. And some people think that's what that means. And it kind of does mean that in some respects. But it means it in another way too. It means it in the way where where our past cripples us, where the past wasn't good, the past was bad, and now we're afraid. Now we think like, oh, why try? We tried before and we kept failing. Let's just play it safe. Or, you know, I tried. And, And every time I tried, it just didn't work out. And I just don't think I can. The past cripples us in so many ways. Well, the good news is this. Today's message is the counter to all of that. You see, we live in a world that on one hand will talk about how much it values humility you know, they'll notice somebody and go, oh, man, that person is so awesome. They'll help anybody. They're, you know, they're, they're so servant-hearted. And, and on one hand, they'll say that. But what we really value is pride. What we celebrate is pride. If we look at what happens in, in, our, in our entertainment, in our media, we celebrate pride. We don't look for that, you know, humble, meek person. We love to talk about it. But very few of us, if our kid is at school getting pushed around, we just tell them, you know what? You know what you should try to do? Be more humble. In fact, if your child came home and said, I finally had enough, and I just pushed that bully down, there's a part of us that'd be like, yeah, good, awesome. Good. We celebrate power. We celebrate pride. 
But then we'll, you know, we'll talk, oh yeah, humility is really important too. Christianity doesn't give us that. And here, as we look again at Romans 12, in Paul's longest explanation of the gospel that we have in the Bible, when he talks about how the gospel now should be lived out in the church, he's just talked about living sacrifice. He's just talked about having a mind that's transformed through the word of Jesus Christ. And now, he says this. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Paul's talking about pride. He's talking about, you know, I'm thinking that you're better than everybody else. You know, there's a saying out there, you know, it ain't bragging if you can back it up, right? It's still bragging. It's still boasting. Because if you're boasting about anything that matters to God, it's foolish. Because the Bible makes clear again and again and again, and Paul had made this clearer earlier in Romans, where he said, anything you do of value is not because of you. It's because of Christ in you. You shouldn't be bragging about what Christ has done unless you're going to be bragging on Christ. You see, what we need in a healthy church, we need humility. And humility means, in a sense, that we have an accurate picture of who we are in Christ. And let me emphasize that. It's an accurate picture. And that's hard to do. It's hard for us to really have an accurate picture of ourselves. Some of us, it's, it's too low. We think too lowly of ourselves. And some of us, it's too high. And both of those, you need to know, are expressions of pride. Paul's talking specifically here about the person who thinks too highly of themselves. But he could have just as easily have been talking about the person who thinks too lowly of themselves. You see, when we, when we think too highly of ourselves, what we, what we think is like, oh yeah, I just did this great thing, and I'm going to give God some credit for it. You know, because... You know, God made me so awesome. He made me so talented. And now I'm blessing you with my talent. Aren't you lucky? Right? That's the too high. That's the too high is sitting there going, yeah, I, can, I can sing better than Stacy. I can play guitar better than Calvin. I can, you know, lead music better than Cheryl. Why has no one noticed my incredible abilities? You know, that's too high. And we all get that. And none of us would admit to that. None of us would say, I think too highly of myself. And if I do, I kind of keep it to myself. The other one is, it's a little more dangerous. Because it masquerades as humility. But it's not. 
when we think too lowly of ourselves, when we think we cannot do something, when we think that there is no way I could ever be or do whatever these things are, it is pride. And why is it pride? It's pride because we forget what the person who thinks too highly of themselves forgot. What the person who thinks too highly of themselves forgot is that anything they do that's worth anything is because of Christ in them. What the person who thinks too lowly of themselves, you know what they forget? That Christ can do anything through you. It's not about you and your lousy abilities and your inexperience, and all your hang-ups, and your weaknesses. It's not about you. It's about him. That's what we mean when we say it's about him. It's not just I'm laying down my pride so that I don't brag about myself and I just talk about Jesus. It's no. It's saying I step up and I say, I know what I am, God, and you know what I am, and you know how you made me, and you know you made me weak, and you know you made me frail, but I trust you. It is not about me. It is about what you will do through me. You want faith? There's faith. There's faith. It's not about you just deciding what God can do. It's not about you saying, God, I want, I, you know, you're a great God. You created a universe but there's no way you can help me go disciple others. There's no way you, you, could, you could get me to understand more about my faith. There's no way that you could help me go serve those, those people who are in that homeless shelter. There's no way I could go work with those those, those mothers of, you know, that are going through crisis pregnancy, there's no way I could go over to Palolo and, and help those, the, the children and the families over there. There's no way. Oh, but you can create a universe. Does anybody else besides me, are there any children here? Does anybody else besides me understand how stupid that sounds? that you can sit here and sing about a God who can create a universe, but there's no way he can change you. It's the ultimate in pride. It's almost, I don't know if it's worse than the guy who thinks too highly of themselves. I just think we, we, we let this one go. And part of the reason we let this one go is because when that kind of gets loose in someone's life and they actually start doing it, then they start doing things that maybe they really shouldn't do. You know, I had, we had a guy in our church who, God bless him, not here, I was in Eva Beach, and he had a servant heart. He wanted to serve, and he wanted to lead music. The problem is he only knew one note, and he sang it all the time. It didn't matter what the song was doing. He only sang that one note. Now, could God still have used him? Well, he did, in a way. But this guy needed to also surrender to saying, you know what? I'm going to learn to be a better singer. I'm going to learn. If God, if I believe this is what God is telling me to do, I'm going to stretch myself, not just to get up there with my meager talents and do it. I am going to learn to be a better singer. 
I'm going to learn about music. I'm going to learn how to lead worship. I'm going to do it all. We, we kind of let this other one go because it looks like humility. But it's not. We should never say to God, you are not capable of making me into whatever you want to make me into. Instead, our question should be simply this. Our question should be, should be God, what do you want me to do? What do you need me to do? What do I need to do in this church right now to help this church be a healthy church? Tell me, I'll do it. That's it. Well, humility. Humility is so key, so important. And Paul makes clear, especially in other letters, that it's the weaker Christian who's the more prideful Christian. You see, when Paul talks about weaker Christians, he talks about Christians that actually follow all the laws. They keep all the laws. In his day, it would have been large, largely following the Jewish laws. You know, we're talking about this in Sunday school today about if someone came to our church, someone started coming to our church and they were here every Sunday and they came on Wednesdays and they, they, you know, they came to every ministry we have and they, they always have their Bible and, and you know, they're here early and they're praying for the service before and you come in, you see them over here praying and, and you know, they're, they're doing everything, you know, and the people who pick up the offering, you know, they look, this guy... This guy, this guy gives every week. It's awesome. can talk about the word of God. And I said, if this person came to our church after like two or three months, what would we do? We'd make them a leader. We'd say, we ought to plug that person in somewhere. But we would never ask ourselves this question. Why does he do what he does? You see, anybody who reads the Bible because they feel it's some kind of rule they have to keep, anybody who prays because they feel it's some kind of ritual they have to maintain to keep God happy or to make themselves holy, anybody who's here today and they're here because it's on the list of things that you're supposed to do, they're not doing it for the right reasons. They're doing it from a sense of keeping rules and keeping traditions and some kind of holiness that comes from checking off all the boxes. We wouldn't know. We really wouldn't know why this person is doing what they're doing. We would just see what they're doing and we're so grateful because they're doing more than what we would do and so we're like, let's make them a leader. You see, we would have to get to know this person. We'd have to talk to them, relate to them, and then find out why do they do what they do. And I'll tell you what. If you were talking to this person and eventually 
you got this kind of conversation going and you were, felt like you could ask. And they might tell you, you know why I come to church? Because I'm so in love with Jesus. I want to be with his people. I cannot wait to, to lift him up in praise. I cannot wait to hear his word. I cannot wait for the fellowship. I want to be here. If you ask them, why, why do you pray? Why do you have a devotion every day? And he says, well, why, why are you asking? Doesn't everybody who's in love with Jesus want to spend time with him every day? Oh, you got that answer. If you got that answer, you're like, okay, let's get rid of Matt and let's make this guy pastor. And I would say, amen. Because that guy's got it. He's not just going through the motion. He's not just keeping rules. He's not just, you know, checking off boxes. He's doing what's welling up in his heart. And it's coming out consistently in his life. But see, the weaker Christian, the weaker Christian, the weaker Christian wants to check off the boxes. The weaker Christian is kind of like how we are when we're, when we're younger, we're, we're children. You know, we're thinking more about ourselves and what we want and what we like. Our first thought is not, is this, is this right? Is this biblical? Is it God-glorifying? Is it helping our first response is, I like it, I don't like it. Our first response is, it's different. It's not what I'm used to. Or it's familiar, it's comfortable. You see, we know we're kind of in that category of the weaker, more prideful Christians. When what we like, what we find familiar, what we find comfortable, is more important than being a healthy church. It gets back to that, I will not, I cannot change. The reason we stay in the will not, cannot change, will not, cannot grow, is because we like where we are. It's comfortable. It's familiar. We like it. And we don't, we don't, want, to, we don't want to stray from it. And by all means, you shouldn't just leave something that's familiar, uncomfortable, that you like just to change, just to move. But you should never stay in something that's familiar and comfortable that you like simply because that's all that matters to you. And God is saying, a healthy church is over here. Let's move. See, the weaker Christian who tends to be the more prideful Christian, you know, they're less likely to be discipled. And it's for the same reasons. They're less likely to be discipled because they either are thinking, I don't need it. Discipleship, that's for children, right? That's for new Christians, right? I don't need it. I've been in the church for like 40, 50 years. When we did this at our church in Ever Beach, 
Uh, we, we were going through this change and looking at what is a healthy church. And, and uh, one of the things we talked about was discipleship. And we talked about how key discipleship was to our church. And so then at the time we had four of us who were in leadership. And, and I said, you know, the next step is all four of us, and all of us were pastors, had been leaders in the church, said all four of us need to find somebody who will disciple us. Included in this group was my dad. My dad had been a pastor at that time for 25 years. My dad had gone to seminary, he had a doctorate. And you know what? My dad's like, yeah, let's do it. And he wasn't just going through the motions. He was there, engaged. He wasn't going like, I'm just going to do this, you know, so that I'm just being a great example to the rest of the church. No. His disciple, the pastor. We hoped, we had hoped that this would be that something that would people would see like, look, this is how seriously the leadership takes discipleship. They're willing to be discipled. They're willing to give up time. And we would, every week we would come to Honolulu from Ebba Beach. That's a long way, okay? It's like a thousand miles, I think, or something. But it was a long way. It just seemed long. It's longer now. Traffic is so terrible. But we would come out. We're so busy. Most of us had other jobs. But still, even after that, there were people in the church, some of, them, some of them my friends, who said, I don't need to be discipled. I don't need to know more. That should only be for the new people. There's the I don't need it. And then there's the other side. I can't. I can't. Just remember, in Christ, as Christians, whenever you say, I can't, you are saying, God can't. And I don't think we ever want to say that. And there's always going to be pride in our lives. There's always going to be prideful Christians in the church. And that's okay. Because how else are they going to learn and grow and to embrace the humility that we, have in, that we see in Christ Jesus. But prideful Christians, they weaken the church. When there's too many of them in the church, they weaken the church. They weaken the unity of the church because they don't want to come together and work together for the good of the church. They just want to stay and do what they like. Oh, they'll serve if they like to serve. They'll take ministry positions if they like to, if it's comfortable, if it's familiar. But not usually beyond that. The prideful Christian, they're less willing to, to listen to faith. They're listen to a, a vision. They want to instead trust in what they know. And what they know is what's familiar and what's comfortable. Or if there's a new idea, it has to be their idea. It can't be anybody else's. 
Because if they are going to trust in something other than what is familiar and comfortable, then they're going to trust in their own ideas. So how do we get humility? Surrendered church is a discipled church. How do we get humility in the church? Well, what did I tell you discipleship was last week? The the goal of discipleship, the objective of discipleship, what should happen in discipleship is that we become more Christ-like. Guess where humility comes from? It comes from being discipled. When we're discipled, when we become disciples of Christ, when we learn and we grow, we become more like Christ. And as we read earlier, we see the humility of Christ, the Son of God, the Son of God who who didn't count equality with God as something that should be reckoned, but instead took upon the form of a servant. He emptied himself. We become more like Christ. We have more of the mind of Christ. And discipleship helps lead us to true humility, not a false humility. Because in discipleship, we also learn more about ourselves and who Christ is making us to be. It strengthens our unity. It makes more of us servants, true servants, not just serving in the way we want or the way we like or the way we're used to, but serving however God might direct. You know, Paul, who who wrote not just Romans, but he wrote the passage that Ernie read earlier from Philippians, You know, Paul, when he writes that from Philippians, he has reason to boast. He has reason to be prideful. He he has done more than any other Christian. He's suffered more. He's been in prison. In fact, he's writing Philippians while he's imprisoned. He's started churches. He's gone on mission trips. He's brought so many people to Christ. And he says this. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. You see, sometimes the Bible gives us kind of a a place to hide. We get a word like love. And as long as it's not defined... We can kind of make it mean whatever we want it to mean. So we see this word, like, we hear a word like humility. And we think like, oh yeah, okay, great. I, I, I think we should be humble. Jesus was humble. I get it. I'll be humble. Christ says be humble. Got it. Paul agrees. Humble. Now let me go define humble. Paul doesn't give us that. Not here. No place to escape. Here's what he says. He says, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. He tells you what humility is going to look like in the church, at least in part. 
And it's going to look like this in the church. You are going to be less concerned about your own interests, about your own likes, about what you find familiar, what you find comfortable, and you're going to be more concerned about what the rest of the people here have interest in. It's right there. Nowhere to hide. We can't just have this vague sense of humility. No. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of the others. I'm going to talk about this subject, and this subject is one that, that you know, 20 years ago might get me fired. And it's still a sensitive issue in churches. And if you bring it up, you're almost definitely going to spark some kind of debate. And that's sad. And it has to do with the music that we sing. One of the reasons I want to talk about it is because it is one of the most public things we do as, as a church. We do it together. Something where here you're listening and, and you're either listening or you can, you know, if, you, if you're not really listening, if you're thinking about something else, no one can tell. But in worship, you can tell for the most part. It's public. It's something we do together. And usually when we do music here, we, we do a range. We try to have at least one of the songs that's an older song of the faith, and then we try to have new songs. But whether it's an old song or a new song, I know that some of the thoughts that come to our minds, because they come to my, my mind sometimes, is my first thought is, I don't like that song. And because I don't like that song, I will not sing that song. I will not even attempt to learn to sing that song. I do not like that song. Sam, I am. And that's it. Draw the line. Oh, they can sing that song. It's great for them. They can sing that song, and I'll just sit here. Look at the Bible verse. When you hear a song here, your first thought shouldn't be, do I like it, do I not like it? And if you are gripped with, I don't like it, the next thought should be, is this blessing somebody? Is there somebody in this church today that needed to hear and sing this song? Is this connecting someone, drawing them closer to God? Do you care about the interests of others or just your own? It's a public thing we do here. And we do it every Sunday. And are we living out this verse? I think we do sometimes. I think we don't. But how is your reaction helping or hurting? How about we live out this verse here? How about we live out this verse here by saying, you know what? I don't like the song. Maybe I don't like it because it's new. Maybe I should try to learn it. 
maybe I should try to learn more about this song. You know, we live in an age of the internet. You can go online, you can play this, most of these songs, any of these songs we sing again and again and again. You can, you can learn a song. You know what? It might make her have a heart attack, but you could, you could ask my wife, um, can I meet with you and you can teach me that new song you guys are singing in church? You can probably ask just about anybody on the worship team, same question. Hey, you guys sing that new song. Can, can you play it for me? Can you sing it to me? Do we even think about how the songs are affecting others? What if someone, you, you run into someone, and in conversations, in the conversations, they, you, they find out you go to Wiley Baptist Church, and, they, and you find out this person's not a Christian, and this person has just been hurting and seeking and, you know, for God in their lives, and then they find out you go to Wiley Baptist Church, and they said, yeah, I came there. I came there once. But you know, I didn't, when you guys were singing those songs, it didn't seem like people really, it's like they really meant it. And I was looking for something that was going to give me joy, and you know, I didn't see joy there. I was looking for something that would you know, give me confidence and hope to go on, and I didn't feel the people there were hopeful. We're confident. See, it matters. It matters because what we do, we do here in a public place. And I'm going to tell you, I have very little to do with the worship music. And that's because I trust, I trust my wife. And I'll tell you this. She prays about every song she picks. She studies every song she picks. She reads the lyrics. She makes sure they're theologically sound. She brings them to you every Sunday, like presenting to you a meal and saying, here it is. I know that. I see it every week. If you cannot think about the interest of others, why not think about her interests? Oh, she's probably going to yell at me for bringing her up. It's okay. It's the risk I take. But let me just tell you, I brought up music because I know it's a sore spot. I brought up music because it's something we do here publicly. I brought up music because non-Christians who come here see us. Children, teenagers who come here, they see us. And you might say, oh, in my heart, I'm rocking out. In my heart, I'm raising my hands to Jesus and I'm praising him with all my heart. In my mind, in my heart. But I'm just sitting here like this. How do these children know? How do the teenagers know what's in your heart and in your mind? How does the non-Christian who's hurting and looking for a place full of hope and joy, how do they know? God gives us an opportunity every Sunday to show people 
what we have in our hearts, and it's worship. Oh, but I'm not just talking about worship. That's the one that's just going to get me in trouble. I could talk about so many other things. I could talk about things that people have problems with, whether it be, you know, the way someone teaches, when we have services, um, where we have services, you know, where, you know, should we have pews in the, in the service? You know, why don't we sing out of the hymnals instead of using the overhead? Or, you know, there's all these other things that we say aren't connecting with me. They're not connecting with me. I'm not getting fed. I'm not, you know, it's just, this isn't helping me. Remind yourself of this verse. Humility says it's not about looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. Are we thinking about what others like, or maybe better, what others need and what others want? That's what it means. Show our interests, not looking to our own interests, but each of us to the interests of the others. We want to be a healthy church. We need to be a surrendered church. We need to be a church that's so in love with God's word that we are, we are students, we are the disciples of Christ that we're called to be. We're students of his word. We're discipling one another. And we need to be a humble church expressed partly in this way, that we look to others' interests above our own. Again, I hate making messages like this to a group because usually what happens whenever you talk to a group is the person who's already there often thinks, oh man, he's talking about me. And then they feel like, oh, I gotta try harder. Or, how does he not notice that I'm already doing these things? I know that. If you're already doing these things, if these things already resonate in your heart, I'm not talking, I'm not talking to you. And I know there are people like this in our church, young and old. But I know that's a message that we all need to hear and be reminded of. I need to be reminded of it again and again and again. That it is not about me. It is not about my strengths. It is not about my weaknesses. It is about Christ in me. And that's only going to happen when I'm a living sacrifice who's his lifelong disciple that lives my life in his humility.